0: Section one of What is Property? This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Deborah Brabin. What is property? An inquiry into the principle of right and of government by Pierre Joseph Poudon, translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Section one. PJ Pudon. HIS LIFE AND HIS WORKS, PART ONE FOOTNOTE In the French edition of Poudin's works, the following sketch of his life is prefixed to the first volume of his correspondence, but the translator prefers to insert it here as the best method of introducing the author to the American public. He would, however, caution readers against accepting the biographer's interpretation of the author's views as in any sense authoritative advising them rather to await the publication of the remainder of Proudhon's writings, that they may form an opinion for themselves. Translator End footnote The correspondence of P. J. Proudhon, the first volumes of which we publish today, has been collected since his death by the faithful and intelligent labours of his daughter, aided by a few friends. It was incomplete when submitted to St. Beuve but the portion with which the illustrious academician became acquainted was sufficient to allow him to estimate it as a whole with that soundness of judgment that characterized him as a literary critic. In an important work, which his habitual readers certainly have not forgotten, although death did not allow him to finish it, Saint-Beuve thus judges the correspondence of the great publicist. The letters of Boudin, even outside the circle of his particular friends, will always be of value. We can always learn something from them, and here is the proper place to determine the general character of his correspondence it has always been large especially since he became so celebrated and to tell the truth i am persuaded that in the future the correspondence of proudhon will be his principal vital work and that most of his books will be only accessory to and corroborative of this at any rate his books can be well understood only by the aid of his letters and the continual explanations which he makes to those who consult him in their doubt and request him to define more clearly his position. There are among celebrated people many methods of correspondence. There are those to whom letter-writing is a bore, and who, assailed with questions and compliments, reply in the greatest haste, solely that the job may be over with, and who return politeness for politeness, mingling it with more or less wit. This kind of correspondence, though coming from celebrated people, is insignificant, and unworthy of collection and classification. After those who write letters in performance of a disagreeable duty, and almost side by side with them in point of insignificance, I should put those who write in a manner wholly external, wholly superficial, devoted only to flattery, lavishing, praise-like gold, without counting it, and those also who weigh every word, who reply formally and pompously, with a view to fine phrases and effects. They exchange words only, and choose them solely for their brilliancy and show. You think it is you, individually, to whom they speak, but they are addressing themselves in your person to the four corners of Europe. Such letters are empty, and teach us nothing but theatrical execution, and the favourite pose of their writers. I will not class among the latter the more prudent and sagacious authors who, when writing to individuals, keep one eye on posterity, We know that many who pursue this method have written long, finished, charming, flattering, and tolerably natural letters. Béranger furnishes us with the best example of this class. Proudhon, however, is a man of entirely different nature and habits. In writing, he thinks of nothing but his idea and the person whom he addresses, ad rem et ad hominem. A man of conviction and doctrine, to write does not weary him, to be questioned does not annoy him when approached he cares only to know that your motive is not one of futile curiosity but the love of truth he assumes you to be serious he replies he examines your objections sometimes verbally sometimes in writing for as he remarks if there be some points which correspondence can never settle but which can be made clear by conversation in two minutes at other times just the opposite is the case an objection clearly stated in writing a doubt well expressed which elicits a direct and positive reply helps things along more than ten hours of oral intercourse in writing to you he does not hesitate to treat the subject anew he unfolds to you the foundation and superstructure of his thought rarely does he confess himself defeated it is not his way he holds to his position but admits the breaks the variations in short the evolution of his mind The history of his mind is in his letters. There it must be sought. Poudon, whoever addresses him, is always ready. He quits the page of the book on which he is at work to answer you with the same pen, and that without losing patience, without getting confused, without sparing or complaining of his ink. He is a public man, devoted to the propagation of his idea by all methods, and the best method, with him, is always the present one, the latest one. His very handwriting, bold, uniform, legible even in the most tiresome passages, betrays no haste, no hurry to finish. Each line is accurate. Nothing is left to chance. The punctuation, very correct and a little emphatic and decided, indicates with precision and delicate distinction all the links in the chain of his argument. He is devoted entirely to you, to his business and yours, while writing to you and never to anything else all the letters of his which i have seen are serious not one is commonplace but at the same time he is not at all artistic or affected he does not construct his letters he does not revise them he spends no time in reading them over we have a first draught excellent and clear a jet from the fountain-head but that is all the new arguments which he discovers in support of his ideas and which opposition suggests to him are an agreeable surprise, and shed a light which we should vainly search for, even in his works. His correspondence differs essentially from his books in that it gives you no uneasiness. It places you in the very heart of the man, explains him to you, and leaves you with an impression of moral esteem and almost of intellectual security. We feel his sincerity. I know of no one to whom he can be more fitly compared in this respect than Georges whose correspondence is large and at the same time full of sincerity. His role and his nature correspond. If he is writing to a young man who unbosoms himself to him in sceptical anxiety, to a young woman who asks him to decide delicate questions of conduct for her, his letter takes the form of a short moral essay of a father confessor's advice. Has he perchance attended a theatre a rare thing for him, to witness one of Ponsard's comedies, or a drama of Charlotte Moore's, he feels bound to give an account of his impressions to the friend to whom he is indebted for this pleasure. And his letter becomes a literary and philosophical criticism, full of sense and like no other. His familiarity is suited to his correspondent. He affects no rudeness. The terms of civility or affection which he employs towards his correspondence are sober, measured, appropriate to each, and honest in their simplicity and cordiality. When he speaks of morals in the family, he seems at times like the patriarchs of the Bible. His command of language is complete, and he never fails to avail himself of it. Now and then a coarse word, a few personalities too bitter and quite unjust or injurious, will have to be suppressed in printing. Time, however, as it passes away, permits many things, and renders them inoffensive. Am I right in saying that Proudhon's correspondence, always substantial, will one day be the most accessible and attractive portion of his works? Almost the whole of Proudhon's real biography is included in his correspondence. Up to 1837, the date of the first letter which we have been able to collect... His life, narrated by Saint-Beuve, from whom we make numerous extracts, may be summed up in a few pages. Pierre-Joseph Proudhon was born on the 15th of January, 1809, in a suburb of Besançon called Mouillère. His father and mother were employed in the great brewery belonging to Monsieur Renaud. His father, though a cousin of the jurist Proudhon, the celebrated professor in the faculty of Dijon, was a journeyman brewer. His mother, a genuine peasant, was a common servant. She was an orderly person, of great good sense, and, as they who knew her say, a superior woman, of heroic character, to use the expression of the venerable Monsieur Weiss, the librarian at Besançon. She it was, especially, whom Proudhon resembled. She and his grandfather, Tournesy, the soldier peasant of whom his mother told him, and whose courageous deeds he has described in his work on justice. Proudhon, who always felt a great veneration for his mother Catherine, gave her name to the elder of his daughters. In 1814, when Besançon was blockaded, Mouillet, which stood in front of the walls of the town, was destroyed in the defence of the place, and Proudhon's father established a cooper's shop in a suburb of Baton called Vigneron. Very honest, but simple-minded and short-sighted, this Cooper, the father of five children, of whom Pierre-Joseph was the oldest, passed his life in poverty. At eight years of age, Proudhon either made himself useful in the house, or tended the cattle out of doors. No one should fail to read that beautiful and precious page of his work on justice, in which he describes the rural sports which he enjoyed when a neat had. At the age of twelve, he was a cellar boy in an inn. This, however, did not prevent him from studying. His mother was greatly aided by Monsieur Renaud, the former owner of the brewery who had at that time retired from business and was engaged in the education of his children. Proudhon entered school as a day scholar in the sixth class. He was necessarily irregular in his attendance, domestic cares and restraints sometimes kept him from his classes. He succeeded, nevertheless, in his studies. He showed great perseverance. His family were so poor that they could not afford to furnish him with books. He was obliged to borrow them from his comrades and copy the text of his lessons he has himself told us that he was obliged to leave his wooden shoes outside the door that he might not disturb the classes with his noise and that having no hat he went to school bareheaded one day towards the close of his studies on returning from the distribution of the prizes loaded with crowns he found nothing to eat in the house in his eagerness for labour and his thirst for knowledge prudence says saint-beuve was not content with the instruction of his teachers from his twelfth to his fourteenth year he was a constant frequenter of the town library. One curiosity led to another, and he called for book after book, sometimes eight or ten at one sitting. The learned librarian, the friend and almost the brother of Charles Nodier, Monsieur Weiss, approached him one day and said, smiling, But, my little friend, what do you wish to do with all these books? The child raised his head, eyed his questioner, and replied, What's that to you? And the good Monsieur Weiss remembers it to this day. Forced to earn his living, Poudon could not continue his studies. He entered a printing office in Besançon as a proofreader. Becoming soon after a compositor, he made a tour of France in this capacity. At Toulon, where he found himself without money and without work, he had a scene with the mayor, which he describes in his work on justice. saint beuve tells us that after his tour of France, his service-book being filled with good certificates, proudhon was promoted to the position of foreman but he does not tell us for the reason that he had no knowledge of a letter written by fallot of which we never heard until six months since that the printer at that time contemplated quitting his trade in order to become a teacher towards eighteen twenty nine fallot who was a little older than proudhon and who after having obtained the suard pension in eighteen thirty two died in his twenty ninth year while filling the position of assistant librarian at the institute, was charged, Protestant though he was, with the revisal of a Life of the Saints, which was published at Besançon. The book was in Latin, and Follot added some notes which were also in Latin. But, says Saint it happened that some areas escaped his attention, which Proudhon, then proofreader in the printing office, did not fail to point out to him. Surprised at finding so good a Latin scholar in a workshop, he desired to make his acquaintance, and soon there sprung up between them a most earnest and intimate friendship, a friendship of the intellect and of the heart. Addressed to a printer between twenty-two and twenty-three years of age, and predicting in formal terms his future fame, Fallow's letter seems to us so interesting that we do not hesitate to reproduce it entire. Paris, December 5th, 1831 My dear Proudhon, you have a right to be surprised at and even dissatisfied with my long delay in replying to your kind letter i will tell you the cause of it it became necessary to forward an account of your ideas to monsieur j de Grey, to hear his objections to reply to them and to await his definitive response which reached me but a short time ago for monsieur j is a sort of financial king who takes no pains to be punctual in dealing with poor devils like ourselves I, too, am careless in matters of business. I sometimes push my negligence even to disorder, and the metaphysical musings which continually occupy my mind, added to the amusements of Paris, render me the most incapable man in the world for conducting a negotiation with dispatch. I have Monsieur Joubat's decision. Here it is. In his judgment, you are too learned and clever for his children. He fears that you could not accommodate your mind and character to the childish notions common to their Asian station. In short, he is what the world calls a good father, that is, he wants to spoil his children. And in order to do this easily, he thinks fit to retain his present instructor, who is not very learned, but who takes part in their games and joyous sports with wonderful facility, who points out the letters of the alphabet to the little girl, who takes the little boys to mass, and who, no less obliging than the worthy Abbe P of our acquaintance, would readily dance for Madame's amusement. "'Such a profession would not suit you, "'you who have a free, proud, and manly soul. "'You are refused. "'Let us dismiss the matter from our minds. "'Perhaps another time my solicitude will be less unfortunate. "'I can only ask your pardon for having thought of thus disposing of you, "'almost without consulting you. "'I find my excuse in the motives which guided me. "'I had in view your well-being and advancement in the ways of this world.' "'I see in your letter, my comrade,' through its brilliant witticisms, and beneath the frank and artless gaiety with which you have sprinkled it, a tinge of sadness and despondency which pains me. You are unhappy, my friend. Your present situation does not suit you. You cannot remain in it. It was not made for you. It is beneath you. You ought by all means to leave it, before its injurious influence begins to affect your faculties, and before you become settled, as they say, in the ways of your profession." Were it possible that such a thing could ever happen, which I flatly deny. You are unhappy. You have not yet entered upon the path which nature has marked out for you. But, faint-hearted soul, is that a cause for despondency? Ought you to feel discouraged? Struggle, mobbler, struggle persistently, and you will triumph. J. J. Rousseau groped about for forty years before his genius was revealed to him you are not J. T. rousseau but listen i know not whether i should have divined the author of emile when he was twenty years of age supposing that i had been his contemporary and had enjoyed the honour of his acquaintance but i have known you i have loved you i have divined your future if i may venture to say so for the first time in my life i am going to risk a prophecy keep this letter read it again fifteen or twenty years hence perhaps twenty-five and if at that time the prediction which I am about to make has not been fulfilled, burn it as a piece of folly, out of charity and respect for my memory. This is my prediction. You will be, prudent, in spite of yourself, inevitably, by the fact of your destiny, a writer, an author. You will be a philosopher. You will be one of the lights of the century, and your name will occupy a place in the annals of the nineteenth century, like those of Cassandie, Descartes, Malebranche, and Bacon in the seventeenth and those of Diderot, Montesquieu, Helvétius, Locke, Hume, and Olbach in the 18th. Such will be your lot. Do now what you will. Set type in a printing office, bring up children, bury yourself in deep seclusion. Seek obscure and lonely villages. It is all one to me. You cannot escape your destiny. You cannot divest yourself of your noblest feature, that active, strong, and inquiring mind with which you are endowed. Your place in the world has been appointed, and it cannot remain empty. Go where you please. I expect you in Paris, talking philosophy and the doctrines of Plato. You will have to come whether you want to or not. I who say this to you must feel very sure of it in order to be willing to put it upon paper, since without reward for my prophetic skill, to which I assure you, I make not the slightest claim, I run the risk of passing for a hare-brained fellow in case I prove to be mistaken. He plays a bold game who risks his good sense upon his cards, in return for the very trifling and insignificant merit of having divined a young man's future. When I say that I expect you in Paris, I use only a proverbial phrase, which you must not allow to mislead you as to my projects and plans. To reside in Paris is disagreeable to me, very much so, and when this fine art fever which possesses me has left me, "'I shall abandon the place without regret "'to seek a more peaceful residence in a provincial town, "'provided always the town shall afford me the means of living, "'bread, a bed, books, rest, and solitude. "'How I miss, my good Poudon, "'that dark, obscure, smoky chamber "'in which I dwelt in Besançon, "'and where we spent so many pleasant hours "'in the discussion of philosophy. "'Do you remember it? "'But that is now far away. "'Will that happy time ever return?' Shall we, one day, meet again? Here my life is restless, uncertain, precarious, and, what is worse, indolent, illiterate, and vagrant. I do no work, I live in idleness, I ramble about. I do not read, I no longer study, my books are forsaken. Now and then I glance over a few metaphysical works, and after a day's walk through dirty, filthy, crowded streets, I lie down with empty head and tired body to repeat the performance on the following day. What is the object of these walks, you will ask? I make visits, my friend. I hold interviews with stupid people. Then a fit of curiosity seizes me, the least inquisitive of beings. There are museums, libraries, assemblies, churches, palaces, gardens and theatres to visit. I am fond of pictures, fond of music, fond of sculpture, All these are beautiful and good, but they cannot appease hunger, nor take the place of my pleasant readings of Bailly, Hume, and Teneman, which I used to enjoy by my fireside when I was able to read. But enough of complaints. Do not allow this letter to affect you too much, and do not think that I give way to dejection or despondency. No, I am a fatalist, and I believe in my star." I do not yet know what my calling is, nor for what branch of polite literature I am best fitted. I do not even know whether I am or ever shall be fitted for any, but what matters it? I suffer, I labour, I dream, I enjoy, I think, and, in a word, when my last hour strikes, I shall have lived. Poudon, I love you, I esteem you, and, believe me, these are not mere phrases. What interest could I have in flattering and praising a poor printer?' Are you rich that you may pay for courtiers? Have you a sumptuous table, a dashing wife, and gold to scatter, in order to attract them to your suite? Have you the glory, honours, credit, which would render your acquaintance pleasing to their vanity and pride? No, you are poor, obscure, abandoned. But poor, obscure, and abandoned, you have a friend and a friend who knows all the obligations which that word imposes upon honourable people when they venture to assume it. That friend is myself. Put me to the test. Gustave Fallot It appears from this letter that if at this period Proudhon had already exhibited, to the eyes of a clairvoyant friend, his genius for research and investigation, it was in the direction of philosophical, rather than of economical and social questions having become foreman at the house of gotier and co who carried on a large printing establishment at besancon he corrected the proofs of ecclesiastical writers the fathers of the church as they were printing a bible of Vulgate. he was led to compare the latin with the original hebrew in this way says Saint beuve he learned hebrew by himself and as everything was connected in his mind he was led to the study of comparative philology as the house of gautier published many works on church history and theology he came also to acquire through this desire of his to investigate everything an extensive knowledge of theology which afterwards caused misinformed persons to think that he had been in an ecclesiastical seminary towards eighteen thirty six proudhon left the house of gautier and in company with an associate, established a small printing office in Besançon. His contribution to the partnership consisted not so much in capital as in his knowledge of the trade. His partner committing suicide in 1838, Poudon was obliged to wind up the business, an operation which he did not accomplish as quickly and as easily as he hoped. He was then urged by his friends to enter the ranks of the competitors for the Suar Pension. This pension consisted of an income of 1,500 francs, bequeathed to the Academy of Besançon by Madame Suard the widow of the academician, to be given, once in three years, to the young man residing in the department of Doubs, a bachelor of letters or of science, and not possessing a fortune, whom the Academy of Besançon should deem best fitted for a literary or scientific career, or for the study of law or of medicine. The first to win the suard pension was Gustave Verlope, Mauvais, who was a distinguished astronomer in the Academy of Sciences, was the second. Proudhon aspired to be the third. To qualify himself, he had to be received as a Bachelor of Letters, and was obliged to write a letter to the Academy of Besançon. In a phrase of this letter, the terms of which he had to modify, though he absolutely refused to change its spirit, Proudhon expressed his firm resolve to labour for the amelioration of the condition of his brothers, the working men. The only thing which he had then published was an essay on general grammar, which appeared without the author's signature. While reprinting at Besançon the primitive elements of languages discovered by the comparison of Hebrew roots with those of the Latin and French by the Abbé Bergier, Poudon had enlarged the edition of his essay on general grammar. The date of the edition, 1837, proves that he did not at that time think of competing for the Suar pension. In this work, which continued and completed that of the Abbe Bergier, Poudon adopted the same point of view, that of Moses and of biblical tradition. Two years later, in February 1839, being already in possession of the Suar pension, he addressed to the Institute as a competitor for the Volney Prize a memoir entitled, Studies in Grammatical Classification and the Derivation of Some French Words. It was his first work revised and presented in another form four memoirs only were sent to the institute none of which gained the prize two honorable mentions were granted one of them to memoir number 4 that is to P. J. Proudhon, printer at Besançon the judges were monsieur Ahmed Joubert Renault and Barnouf the committee Said the report presented at the annual meeting of the five academies on Thursday, may the second eighteen thirty nine has paid especial attention to manuscripts number one and number four. Still, it does not feel able to grant the prize to either of these works because they do not appear to be sufficiently elaborated. The committee, which finds in number four some ingenious analyses, particularly in regard to the mechanism of the Hebrew language, regrets that the author has resorted to hazardous conjectures. And has sometimes forgotten the special recommendation of the committee to pursue the experimental and comparative method. Proudhon remembered this. He attended the lectures of Eugène Bernouffe, and as soon as he became acquainted with the labours and discoveries of Bopp and his successors, he definitively abandoned an hypothesis which had been condemned by the Academy of Inscriptions and Belles Lettres. He then sold, for the value of the paper, The remaining copies of the essay published by him in 1837, in 1850, they were still lying in a grocer's back shop. A neighbouring publisher then placed the edition on the market, with the attractive name of Proudhon upon it. A lawsuit ensued, in which the author was beaten. His enemies, and at that time there were many of them, would have been glad to have proved him a renegade and a recanter. Proudhon, in his work on justice, gives some interesting details of this lawsuit. In possession of the Suar pension, Prudent took part in the contest proposed by the Academy of Besançon on the question of the utility of the celebration of Sunday. His memoir obtained honourable mention, together with a medal which was awarded him, in open session, on the 24th of August, 1839. The reporter of the committee, the Abbé Dony, since made Bishop of Montauban, called attention to the unquestionable superiority of his talent. But, says Saint-Berth, he reproached him with having adopted dangerous theories, and with having touched upon questions of practical politics and social organisation, where upright intentions and zeal for the public welfare cannot justify rash solutions. Was it policy, we mean prudence, which induced Proudhon to screen his ideas of equality behind the mosaic law? Saint-Beuve, like many others, seems to think so. But we remember perfectly well that, "'Having asked Proudhon in August 1848 "'if he did not consider himself indebted in some respects "'to his fellow-countryman Charles Fourier, "'we received from him the following reply. "'I have certainly read Fourier "'and have spoken of him more than once in my works. "'But upon the whole I do not think that I owe anything to him. "'My real masters, "'those who have caused fertile ideas to spring up in my mind, "'are three in number, first, the Bible,' Next, Adam Smith. And last, Hegel. Freely confessed in the celebration of Sunday, the influence of the Bible on Proudhon is no less manifest in his first memoir on property. Proudhon undoubtedly brought to this work many ideas of his own. But is not the very foundation of ancient Jewish law to be found in its condemnation of usurious interest and its denial of the right of personal appropriation of land? The first memoir on property appeared in 1840, under the title, What is Property, or an inquiry into the principle of right and of government. Poudon dedicated it, in a letter which served as the preface, to the Academy of Besançon. The latter, finding itself brought to trial by its pensioner, took the affair to heart, and evoked it, says sainte beuve with all possible haste. The pension narrowly escaped, being immediately withdrawn from the bold defender of the principle of equality of conditions. Monsieur Vivien, then Minister of Justice, who was earnestly solicited to prosecute the author, wished first to obtain the opinion of the economist Blanqui, a member of the Academy of Moral and Political Sciences. Proudhon having presented to this Academy a copy of his book, Monsieur Blanqui was appointed to review it. This review though it opposed Proudhon's views, shielded him. Treated as a savant by Monsieur Blanqui, the author was not prosecuted. He was always grateful to Monsieur Blanqui and Vivien for their handsome conduct in the matter. M. Blanqui's review, which was partially reproduced by Le Moniteur on the 7th of September 1840, naturally led Proudhon to address to him in the form of a letter his second memoir on property, which appeared in April 1841. Proudhon had endeavoured in his first memoir to demonstrate that the pursuit of equality of conditions is the true principle of right and of government. In the letter to M. Blanqui, he passes in review the numerous and varied methods by which this principle gradually becomes realised in all societies, especially in modern society. In 1842, a third memoir appeared, entitled A Notice to Proprietors, or A Letter to M. Victor Considérant editor of La Falange, in reply to a defense of property. Here the influence of Adam Smith manifested itself, and was frankly admitted. Did not Adam Smith find, in the principle of equality, the first of all the laws which govern wages? There are other laws, undoubtedly, but Proudhon considers them all as springing from the principle of property, as he defined it in his first memoir. Thus, in humanity, there are two principles, one which leads us to equality, another which separates us from it. By the former, we treat each other as associates, by the latter as strangers, not to say enemies. This distinction, which is constantly met with throughout the three memoirs, contained already, in Germ, the idea which gave birth to the System of Economical Contradictions, which appeared in 1846, the idea of antinomy, or contre-loi. The notice to proprietors was seized by the magistrates of Besançon, and Proudhon was summoned to appear before the assizes of Dou within a week. He read his written defence to the jurors in person, and was acquitted. The jury, like Monsieur Blanqui, viewed him only as a philosopher, an inquirer, a savant. In 1843 Proudhon published The Creation of Order in Humanity, a large volume which does not deal exclusively with questions of social economy. Religion, philosophy, method, certainty, logic and dialectics are treated at considerable length. Released from his printing office on the 1st of March of the same year, Poudon had to look for a chance to earn his living. Messieurs Gauthier brothers, carriers by water between Moulouse and Lyon, the eldest of whom was Proudhon's companion in childhood, conceived the happy thought of employing him, of utilising his ability in their business, and in settling the numerous points of difficulty which daily arose. Besides the large number of accounts which his new duties required him to make out, and which retarded the publication of the System of Economical Contradictions until October 1846, we ought to mention a work which, before it appeared in pamphlet form, was published in the de Economistes. Competition between railroads and navigable ways. End of section 1